Amen, amen. I am well aware of what I'm up against tonight. I'm up against a potluck dinner, all right? I'm up against a business meeting in which we're going to talk about some exciting things, some good news. But do not tune me out tonight. Um, we're going to have, how many believe that I have a ability to preach a sermonette, all right? If you don't believe it or you believe it, stand in honor and reverence the reading of God's Word. As you're standing, be turning to John chapter number 20. John chapter number 20. Last week was Resurrection Sunday, and <clears throat> I was up in the children's ministry, but I got to listen to Brother Dan's message online and, uh, about the rest of the story. And we heard about uh, Mary Magdalene, we heard about Thomas, and we heard about Peter, and we heard about what happened in their lives after the death, burial, and then the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And uh, I texted him this week and said, you know, preacher, the Lord's laid it on my heart to dive in just a little bit deeper on Mac Mary Magdalene, you know, but I didn't want to double up on him so close after him preaching it and he said, you know, whatever the Lord lays on your heart. So uh, tonight we're going to look deeper at this time that Mary Magdalene uh, had with Jesus, this interaction that's recorded in all four Gospels. Um, and <clears throat> uh, John chapter number 20, John chapter number 20, it'd help if I turn there, all right? John chapter number 20, I've been up here talking, not turning. Uh, in verse number one, the Bible says, The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulchre, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulchre. Now look over at verse number 14. When she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend to my father and your father, and to my God and your God. Let's preach on this thought tonight. When the sun came up. When the sun came up, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much that you did not stay in that tomb. Thank you so much that you, not, that you did not stay where the devil thought he had you, that you did not stay where this world thinks your story ended. But God, we know as your children that you got up from that grave and that you're alive and well today. And God, as many of us came into this place tonight in the same position as Mary Magdalene, in the same position that she found herself in there in those days, we pray that you speak to us through your word. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You can be seated. So this one I started studying in on a few months ago, and uh, <clears throat> we're going to get into more of that here in the, in the minutes ahead. But Mary Magdalene here was uh, this interaction, this conversation was recorded in all four of the gospel. Stories like the feeding of the 5,000 were another story that was recorded in all four of the gospels. It's an important interaction, uh, and as far as we know, it's the first interaction the Lord had with anyone after his res resurrection. So if you use the law of first mention or anything like that, you would understand that this is an important conversation that takes place. And it was definitely important in the life of Mary Magdalene. It was definitely important uh, in each and one of our lives when we met the Son, when we met the resurrected Savior, when we met the, the King of kings and the Lord of lords that wasn't just some teacher, that wasn't just some prophet, that wasn't some just good person, but that was alive and well and still changing lives today. And we have all been 
where Mary was here. Whether we're there now, or we have been there, or we're fixing to be there, we have all been where she was standing. We've all walked in the shoes of this young lady who had just watched her Savior, had just watched her preacher, had just watched her pastor, had just watched this man that she saw perform many miracles, uh, even helped her and healed her of some things that she was dealing with that had changed her life. She had watched this man be tormented and, <clears throat> and beaten and bruised and nailed to a cross, and she had watched him die. It just seemed like everything that was once going the right direction had now fallen apart right before her eyes. And she finds herself here looking into the sepulcher, and uh, she had come to the point of her sadness. She had come to the point of all her hopes, dreams, and ambitions being crushed. And now she went to the place where he was buried to maybe try to get some closure, or maybe try to get some uh, peace about what had happened, or maybe go uh, <clears throat> prepare his body, you know, and, and, and be there with it, and be there for for closure and be there by the graveside and she stoops down and she looks into the sepulcher and the body is gone. He is not there. And she begins to fret and she begins to start questioning in uh, <clears throat> verse number 11. But Mary stood without the sepulcher weeping and as she wept she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher and see two angels in white, in, <clears throat> in white sitting one at the head of the other at the feet where Jesus was and had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? And she said unto him, Because they have taken away my Lord. She had literally come to the place where the number one thing she was seeking was her Jesus. The number one thing that would bring her closure, the number one thing that would give her peace, the number one thing that would calm her tears and ease her fears was simply being the presence of her Jesus. Little did she know that Jesus had much bigger things in store for her, that while she was looking in an empty tomb trying to find Jesus, Jesus was actively moving towards her direction. Little did she know that in her darkest hour, in her saddest hour, in her most turmoil, and her most depression, and her most weakest, most vulnerable point that you and I have both experienced, Jesus was actively pursuing her. And when the son came up literally to her, we're going to look at the transaction that took place. Number one, he knew where to find her. Look at verse number 14. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. In her sadness, the place where things could not get any worse. She had just watched everything she had ever followed for the last three and a half years fall apart before her very eyes. And now she gets there to the sepulcher and the tomb's empty. And just when things seemed that they could not get worse, it says she turned and there was Jesus. She turned and there was Jesus. Even though she was the one pursuing Him and she was looking for a body, she was looking for closure, she was looking for an end to the pain and the anguish and the sadness, He was saying, this is just the beginning. Here I am. He knew where to find her. He knew where she would be. He knew that if there was one person after His death that would be pursuing Him, that would be looking for Him, it was Mary Magdalene. She was uh, treasured among the disciples and we know, of course, she wasn't one of the twelve per se, but she was there. She witnessed the miracles. She witnessed the things. She witnessed the sermons. She heard the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he knew where she was in her sadness and in her seeking. Don't miss the fact that she was not there to simply... <clears throat> uh, go through the motions of uh, paying her dues and, get, and paying her regards to that gravesite. She was not there uh, to simply go through the motions of any kind of Jewish religious practice or any kind of thing like that. You see, Mary Magdalene had come to the tomb for one purpose and one purpose only was to be closer and to be near her Jesus. 
was to be near and be closer to her Jesus. And he knew who would she would be seeking after. She, he knew that he wouldn't find Mary out trying to find him in the bar somewhere. She, he knew that he wouldn't find Mary trying to find peace or trying to find pleasure out in the shopping malls. He knew that he wouldn't find Mary out in the places of sin or out in the places that the world had to offer. When she reached her tipping point, when she reached her breaking point, he knew that he would find Mary at the very place where she was seeking to be with Him. Tonight, you and I, a lot of times, we get into these situations like Mary was in, and we look for peace, and we look for closure, and we look for answers everywhere but in Him. And He's actively pursuing you and me. He's actively, as the Bible says in verse number 14, and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. She didn't even recognize He was there. She didn't even recognize who it was that was standing there. We know that she thought He was the gardener. But we'll look and we'll look and we'll look and we'll look on Facebook and we'll look on the social media world and, and we'll call family members and we'll call friends and we'll call people and we'll talk to this person and talk to this person and we'll seek counsel and we'll seek advice and, we'll, and there's Jesus. And there's Jesus. He knew where to find her. He knows where to find you. Whatever you're going through tonight, whatever it may be, you may say, well, preacher, I'm not going through anything right now. Life's pretty good. Buckle up because here it comes. The devil is a liar. The devil is alive and well. He's walking as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's on your trail. He's on my trail. As we explore the avenue of this merge, there's nothing he would like more than to get this one mad at this one and this one mad at this one. There's nothing he'd like more to get you mad at your husband or you mad at your wife. There's nothing he'd like more to attack and to devour and bring you to this place where you think all hope is lost and you go searching here and you go searching here and you go searching everywhere but where Jesus is. He knows where to find you tonight. He knows where to pursue you tonight. He knows where you'll be even before you know where you'll be. He was there. He knew where to find her. Number two, he knew who she was. He knew who she was. One more thing on this, he knew where to find her. Sometimes we think we need to tell God where we'll meet him. Sometimes we, need, we think we need to tell God, God, I, I'll get this together. I'll meet you at church on Sunday morning. You know, we know we should be repenting on our bedside that very moment. We know we should be going and apologizing to that coworker that very moment. We know that Jesus is there with open arms ready to forgive and ready to cleanse. And ready to love right there in that very moment. But we kind of set a, a meeting place. I'll get it right in the altar on Sunday. How many times have we made that joke to each other? I better see you in the altar on Sunday morning. But he knows where you are all the time. And he's there all the time. Wednesday night, I experienced this in a real world application. Wednesday night, get off of work. I'm tired. So I go get me a can. I call it liquid courage. It's Red Bull. It's an energy drink. All right. Because I got to go from the most tired human being on, at five o'clock when I get off work to the most excited, overjoyed, overzealous human being in the whole world when I get here on Wednesday night with those teenagers. I got to be the most enthusiastic. I got to be the most excited. I got to get them roused up. I got to get them going crazy. I got to get all their energy out during game time so they'll sit there and listen to preaching. 
So I drink my energy drink and I come flying in the parking lot and I get on, I get on the yellow bus and I start it up and it sounded, I won't make the noise because it'd wake some people up in here, but uh, <clears throat> I started that yellow bus and it, and it made this big loud noise because some blessed individual stole our catalytic converter Again, if any of you guys are good at arts and crafts, we need a big sign to hang off the, the barn over there that says all the catalytic converters are already gone. Please stop stealing our stuff because I think that's the fourth one they've got now. So, uh, <clears throat> so long story short, I said, it's okay, we'll get on the travel bus. So I get on the white travel bus and I go out and I pick all the kids up. I bring them back to church and it was an amazing night. It was an amazing night. We had several moved to some altars. We had several decisions made. We had several teenagers get some help. And here I am driving home. I'm feeling bulletproof, man. I've got, I've got all these teenagers in the bus and they're literally singing hymns on the way home where they were getting on the bus and moaning and groaning and complaining about their parents and complaining about school. And we're driving home and they're singing hymns. They're praising the Lord. I'm saying, ha ha, not today, Satan. You didn't get me. And all of a sudden we start smelling something. And all of a sudden, that smell starts getting a little bit stronger. And all of a sudden, a few of the kids start going, something's wrong with the bus. Me being the youth pastor, I say, you know, it's fine. It's fine. I'll look at it. I got out. I was talking to a parent. Uh, when I dropped their daughter off, I was talking to a parent. And I turn around, and I look in the grill. And there's smoke just pouring out of the grill of that white travel bus. Just coming out. I said, that's not good. So I said, excuse me, ma'am. I go over there. I turn the bus off. Of course, all the kids are in a full panic at this point. And I pop the hood and I see the AC compressors just locked up. All right? Cherry red. It ain't moving anywhere. So in my brain, I say, it's okay. We'll just turn the AC off and we should still be able to drive. But what I didn't know is that it had locked up for such a long period of time. That's what that smell was. That was that belt just burning and burning and burning. And it had broke that serpentine belt. So when I tried to get going down the road, no more brakes, no more steering, no more anything. So I moved a couple hundred yards and went to stop and couldn't stop. So I stood on the brake. I said, all right, we're done. I'm going to have to call in every preacher's favorite phone number, 1-800-DEACON. All right. So 1-800-DEACON. Tony picks up the phone. He says, what's going on? I said, well, I'm on the side of the road and I got a broken serpentine belt and I got about 12 kids with me. He said, okay, me and Miss Lisa will bring two cars. So I had Candy coming. I had Tony coming, Miss Lisa coming. And he goes, where are you at? All that to get back to this. And I said, I'm on Biscayne Road. He said, okay. Click. Hangs up the phone. Now, I've got an armada coming down this road. I'm on. I got parents coming from directions. I'm directing traffic. And I got this kid getting in this car and this kid getting in this car. And we're getting them home. We're getting the job done. And then I get a call from Tony. And he says, you said you're on Biscayne Road? I said, uh, that's what I said. But I don't know exactly that that's where I am. And he said, well, I'm on Biscayne Road and nobody's here. But I look over at Palm Beach Road and there's cars everywhere. And I said, that's us. That's us. That's us. A lot of times we'll tell God, God, I'll meet you here. I'll do this at this time. I'll rendezvous with you here, God. I'll get things right. I'll surrender. I'll work at this point in this place in this time. And we don't even know where we are. We don't even have a clue where we're going to be. He does. Not only that, then I get a call. Tony comes in. Him and Miss Lisa swoop in and get the kids. And we get all the kids gone. And then there's me standing in the dark with my broke down bus. I said, wait a second. There's one more in the equation that still needs to go home. All right. 
Then I get a call from Mike Gravitt. And he says, brother, where you at? And I said, I'm by the bus. And he goes, on Biscayne Road? And I said, oh, no, I told Tony wrong. Well, you told Tony wrong, and then he told me wrong, so where are you at? And I said, I'm on Palm Beach Road. He goes, okay. Sometimes when we make plans to be in certain places at certain times, it doesn't just affect our relationship with God. When we put off meeting up with God at the church house, when we put off, I'm going to commit to go to Sunday nights, but after this is over, I'm going to commit to go to Wednesday. God, I'm going to commit, I'm going to serve you, I'm going to follow you, but after this is over, when He's standing there right then, He's ready to go right now. His answer is now, let's go. We say, God, no, 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 don't worry, I got it all planned out, Lord, I got it all figured out, I'm going to do it here. It may not just mislead you, it may mislead the Mike Gravitz of the world that are just trying to come rescue you. It might mislead that household or that other family that's looking at you. But he knew where to find her. He knew where she was going to be before she ever got there. Hope this is helping you tonight. Second, he knew who she was. Verse 15. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? Don't miss this. Don't miss this. She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. She didn't recognize him. He knew who she was, but she didn't know who he was. In these times of our life when everything's falling apart and it doesn't seem like anything makes sense and it doesn't seem like anything's going in the right direction, most of the time he's standing right where we don't expect him to be and he knows exactly who we are even though we may not realize who he is. And Mary's sitting here and she's going, Did you take the body, sir? If you took him, tell me where you put him and I'll go, I'll go take care of him. All right. If he was in your way or if he was a burden to you, let me go take care of him. Did you take him? Notice this. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. Wait a second. It was at the very moment that she realized he knew her name. He knew her name. He called out her name. When he said woman, she didn't recognize him. When he said Mary, it clicked. When he said Mary, she turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not. The moment she realized, he knew who she was. Some of you aren't getting it yet. The moment you and I realized in our little pity parties, in our little lives, and what was making us sad, and what was making us frustrated, and what was preventing us from moving on, the moment you and I realized that He knows who we are. He knows us better than we know us. He knows what makes us upset more than we know what makes us upset. He, know what's gonna, he knows what's going to grind our gears tomorrow, let alone yesterday. We spend so much time being mad about yesterday when He knows what's going to make us mad tomorrow. And He still says, Bryce, Mike, 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 Mike. Mike, I think that's all for him. Mike, he knows our name. He knows your name. He knows your frame. He knows exactly what you're made of. He knows the things about you that you've never told anybody. He knows the things that affect you that nobody else knows they affect you. He knows what drives you crazy. He knows what makes you happy. He knows what makes you sad. He knows the circumstances that are the best for you to be involved in. He knows the circumstances that are the worst for you to be involved in. When she had come to the end of her rope, when she had come to the end of her witch, she hears Mary. How many of you have ever been there? Or you knew no one else cared who you were. 
No one else cared what made you happy. No one else cared about how you were on the inside. But you knew a God, you knew a Father, you knew a Savior that knew your name. That knew your name. He knew who she was. And lastly, he knew what she needed. He knew what she needed. Look at verse number 16. Jesus saith unto her, Mary, she turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Brother Steve Piggott came and preached here one time, and he said, you got to look for some of the things in Scripture that are there but are not there. Because in verse 16, she says, Master. And in verse 17, Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not. So between these two verses, there was some embracing attempted. Mary, no doubt, Master. And Jesus says, Touch me not. He knew what she needed, not what she wanted. She knew what she wanted. She wanted a hug. How many of you been there? I just want a hug. She wanted a hug. She wanted to embrace him. She wanted him to be with her and her with him. And this is not in an effectual way. This is in a mentorship way. This is in a pastoral way. She had been placing her hope and her trust in Jesus, which is not a bad place to be putting it. But what she didn't know was she was putting her hope and her faith and her trust in Jesus, the man incarnate. What he knew that she needed was to put her faith and trust in Jesus, God the Son, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit that He was about to send to her. So when He says, touch me not here. A few months ago, I texted the deacons. We were in a text message about something else, and I said, Bible question time. Somebody asked me this question, and it stumped me. I'm going to ask you. Somebody asked me this question, why was Mary not allowed to touch Him? But a few verses later, He comes up to Thomas and He says, touch me. Put your hands in the holes of my hands and see the hole in my side. Touch me, Thomas. You want to believe? Touch me. But here he says, Mary, don't touch me. So somebody asked me that question and I went, huh, I don't know. So I turn and I ask the preacher and I ask some of the deacons in a text message and uh, Brother Dan just says, call me. <laughs> that, that means this is too big to text message. All right. So he calls me and he says, this is why, you know, it's important to word study here. Because as he mentioned on Sunday morning in his message, this touch me that he says to her when he says, touch me not. He was saying in the Greek, don't hold on to me. He was saying, don't hold on to me. Because if you hold on to my physical form, you'll never understand what it's like to be inhabited by my spiritual form. If you hold on to the physical things, if you hold on to what I can do, if you hold on to the what's of my ministry, you'll never understand the who's of my ministry. Is that starting to understand? If you keep holding on to what I can do and the miracles that I perform and the things you've seen and the things you've heard me say, if you keep holding on to all the what's, you'll never understand all the who I really am and the who that wants to come and live on the inside of you, Mary, and the comforter that I'm going to send to you because He said when I ascend, I'm not going going to leave you here alone. I'm going to send the comforter. And that's who's been the comfort to you, Miss Darrell. That's who's been the comfort to you, Miss Beverly. That's who's been the comfort to me. That's who's been the comfort to my family. He knew what we needed, not what we wanted, not some kind of political figure to take over the Roman Empire, not some kind of political figure to take over the United States of America. He, he, didn't, he knew what we wanted, but he knew better and knew who we needed. And that was him. That was him. Let me close with another Bryce illustration. For the past couple of weeks, I've been battling poison ivy. I've been allergic to poison ivy a long time. 
since I, as far as I can remember. And anytime I stare at this stuff, I get covered in it. And I've learned to recognize it and to stay away from it. Okay, poison ivy, bad. All right. But sometimes you get into situations where there's no way around it. There's, there's something that has to be done and you have to do it and you get poison ivy. And that's what happened a few weeks ago. And that's okay. And let me tell you about poison ivy. There's two things that are horrible about poison ivy. Horrible. Number one, the fact that you have poison ivy. Number two, the fact that everybody comes up to you and tells you how to get rid of your poison ivy. And some of you laugh, but you've been sitting there going, after service, I'm going to tell him this trick I learned. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay? That's the second worst thing about having poison ivy. Because while I'm itching, and I'm in pain, and it's all over, and I'm trying to make sure that I'm getting lotion here and lotion here, and, and trying to take care of this. Y'all getting grossed out before your meal tonight. This is great. I get a win-win. So I'm trying to make sure I take care of this infection. I'm trying to take care of all this and make sure it doesn't go away. I got somebody going, you know, if you just buy this and you'd put this on, it'd go away. And I'm like, oh, oh, really? Okay, thank you. And they're, they're trying to mean well, and they're trying to be helpful, and they're trying to be nice. So I try to be nice back to them and say, hey, it's okay. I might try that. Thank you. Thank you so much for that advice. Meanwhile, I'm, I'm, my skin's crawling. I'm dying. I've got every kind of topical ointment you can buy all mixed together in a vat, made some salve out of it and threw it everywhere. And I'm trying and I'm trying and everybody keeps coming up to me and they keep telling me what you need to do, Bryce, what you need to do. If you do this, what you need to do. Jesus knows what you need to do. But sometimes we'll listen to this. We'll listen to that. And when we got our skin crawling and we got our skin in pain and we got our rash that we're embarrassed of and we got our this and we got our that, we'll go try this. We'll go try that. Every Tom, Dick and Harry that comes along and says, you ought to try this, we'll say, okay. You ought to try this, we'll say, okay. Meanwhile, Jesus is saying, I know what you need. Because here's what happens. Every time, every time, somebody came up to me and gave me advice on how to get rid of my poison ivy, I'd say, are you allergic to it? And they'd say, oh no, I've never had it. Hmm. Because the ones that understand what it's like to have a sin problem, have a poison ivy problem. Y'all getting the illustration now? The ones that know what it's like to go through some stuff, they're very rarely the ones to start running that mouth to tell you what you need. I'm not against reminders of what the Bible says. I'm not against the older brother going, son, you know that's not right. You know what the Bible says about that. That's okay. What I'm talking about is us running and listening to everybody that wants to tell us what we need to do to fix what we know is wrong here. Notice Mary Magdalene started looking for answers from those two angels in the sepulchre. Where's he at? Where's his body? Where's his body? The idea never even entered her little mind that he wasn't dead anymore. Where's his body, angels? Where's his body? The body doesn't even say she recognized that they were angels. Where's he at? Where's he at? I need him. I need to know where his body is. I need him. Then she sees this gardener. Where's he at? Do you have him? Where's he at? Do you have him? But he knew what she needed. He knew what she needed. He knew she needed the Holy Spirit of God to go through what all those disciples were about to go through after he ascended. All those things we saw unfold in the book of Acts. All those things the early church took place. 
All the things Anchor of Hope's been through the last few years, all the things Anchor of Hope's been through through this pandemic time, all the things you've been through trying to have a family during this pandemic time, all the things that you go through that you know in the back of your head are waiting for you tomorrow morning, Monday morning at work, all the things you know that are going to depress you and that are going to make you angry and that are going to frustrate you, all the things He knows what you need. You need His Holy Spirit. You need His Holy Spirit. So tonight, He knows where you are. He knows who you are. And He knows what you need. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Mary Magdalene. Thank You for this short but powerful reminder that in these times, when we're at the end of our ropes, and in these times when we're at the end of our wits, You're there. God, I pray that You... Humble others as you've humbled me to simply open our eyes to see you in all these trials and turmoils and turn to you and your spirit and your guidance during these times. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.